work in us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, City Light. Hope you all are doing well. All right, go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 2 as we prepare to get going today. Um, before we jump into that, I want to give a quick update for our plans for July. We're also going to be sending out a video on Instagram in the newsletter, It'll be on YouTube as well, uh, that'll give this more detail, but I want to give you the general picture, is that we hope, Lord willing, right, James 4, don't say you'll do this or that unless the Lord wills. So, Lord willing, if God sees it fit to be, uh, we will attempt to have um, services July 12th in person. Right? So, everybody, high five your neighbor, kick five, jump up and down off your couch, take a lap, run around, scream, be excited, all right? July 12th. So, the idea uh, is that we'll run a 9 and 11, and we will have a 50-person, at least for now, max capacity, and there will be a sign-up genius where you can sign up and come. Uh, for now, child care will not be provided, but your children are welcome. Uh, we would love to see families here. Uh, so that's what that's going to look like July 12th. Now more information is coming in the video with questions that you're probably, answers to the questions you're probably asking now, but I just want you to put that on your calendar. Also, this week we're starting a, a normal routine of switching our Wednesday serve to Thursday and going after the vision for Thursdays we've had from the beginning uh, to make that a night of prayer, worship, and service and training. So uh, we're going we're gonna to have these, what we're calling spray nights, all right? So serve plus pray equals spray, all right? We want to spray the world with God's love. There's lots of really corny things I could say about that, but you won't forget it, and that's what I know, and that's what I care about. Spray night, okay, so this Thursday is 6.30, all right? So that's how we're going to begin to operate. We're still going to do some deliveries, so please sign up as normal. Uh, we're going to start at 6.30 as people kind of go back to a somewhat normal work schedule little by little. Uh, we want to give time for that, so 6.30. We're also going to have prayer and worship available at 6.30, okay? So once you come join us. Pray and worship. Come stand in one of these little boxes we have in the, in the service. Uh, we would love for you to be here and grab some deliveries and go deliver them uh, or stay and pray for the families that we are going to serve and meet with Jesus together. So those are the two main things. July 12th, mark your calendar, 9-11, check the Sign Up Genius newsletter. All the information is coming. Mark your calendar. We'd love to see you here if possible. And then secondly, this Thursday we are switching from our Wednesdays to our Thursdays. We're doing prayer and worship still like we have been doing, but we're moving the time to 6.30. We're also going to serve. So once again, be on a lookout for more information. Now I want to remind you as your pastor, okay, that it is biblically imperative, commanded, and also essential for us to be a people who gather together. Okay? Now the coronavirus destroyed all of that for a little while, and it was the best thing to everybody stay at home, obviously, and be safe and healthy and be careful and love our neighbors that way. And for some of you, that might still be the case. So if you feel like, man, I'm just not ready yet, or maybe I'm in a vulnerable category and I'm just not ready to go out, man, we were putting these services online, please continue to take them in that way. But I know some of y'all have probably gotten used to like kicking back, you know, on your couch, waking up at like 8.59 or, you know, 10.59, getting out of bed, 
And you're just like, man, church is fantastic. This is the easiest version of church I've ever been to. Um, I can just go to the bathroom whenever I want. I can get whatever drink I want. Uh, I don't have to do anything other than that. And so I hear you and I get that. I want to at least remind you and challenge all of us uh, that this is so imperative for us to get back to being together as safely and as best as we can. I'm telling you, we are doing everything in our power to be safe and to be careful and to maintain social distancing and to have face masks and to have hand sanitizer and to clean everything every three seconds. We're going to do our very best. This is going to be a safe place to be. Uh, so we'd love for you to prioritize being here. But once again, if it's a matter of conscience and you don't feel safe yet or you're in a vulnerable category, bless you. We have stuff provided online, same as always, and we'd love for you to come as soon as you feel like it's a good thing to do. So I know so many of you are super excited. I am so excited to get back with you as soon as possible. So Lord willing, please, Lord, July 12th, we'll be able to do that. So mark your calendar. Um, all right. This is our last week of the Love Your Neighbor series. Uh, and while I give you a little picture of the future, the next two weeks as we transition kind of back to in-service, in-person gatherings at some level, we're just going to do two weeks on how God doesn't change in the midst of things, saying, things changing all around us, God doesn't change. And to kind of plant our feet firmly on that, you know. So as we go from online primarily to in-person and as we think through change again, the thing that's important for us is that God doesn't change. Uh, and then the third week in July, we'll be starting a series in 2 Timothy to get back to what I think is our bread and butter, going through the books of the Bible. So that's what we're going to be doing uh, primarily as we move forward. Obviously, the things happening in the world necessitated us thinking through those things together, and the Lord has been leading, but I'm excited to get back to being through a book. So that's kind of what it looks like in the future as you kind of want to think through this with us. But today, we finish our last week of our Love Your Neighbor series. So this series has been so important, not only as a response for us as a church in the midst of these troubling times around us, uh, through pandemic and racial injustice and all these different things, uh, it's a response for us to understand how the Bible tells us to love our neighbor. It's also the reason we started a church in the first place. So all the crazy stuff that's happening or not, we continually, all of us, need to be trained, equipped, taught, thinking through the Bible and what does it mean to love our neighbor. Because as we said a few weeks ago, the sentiment is easy. I mean, that's a great idea. Who disagrees with that? Love your neighbor. Nobody's going to be like, boo, I don't want to love my neighbor, you know? Now, some of you may think that way about your neighbor because they have like a mean dog or they're playing music late at night or whatever. But you know what I mean? The sentiment is good. Love your neighbor. But the substance, actually doing it, that's where things get hard, difficult. And so we continue need to, we need to continue to grow in this, continue to understand one another, seek empathy, learn about each other's experiences, to give our time, energy, and effort to this. So in light of that, we spent the last three weeks working our way through what does the Bible mean when we're taught to love our neighbor. And as I was thinking about what we've been doing, I thought about uh, reorganizing your GLAD, like Tupperware in your cabinet, all right? So everybody knows, everybody has, everybody, y'all have GLAD Tupperware cabinets, right? Everybody at home, yeah, raise your hand. So, right, wherever you put it, whether it's with the plates and stuff, or ours is down by the pots and pans, you know, under the kitchen island, yours might be in the pantry, whatever. You have all these different things, right? And I guarantee you, 
unless you're like super duper organized, if you went and looked right now, you would have tops that didn't match any bottoms, and those things would not go together. And you know how it is when you're like looking for the right one. Y'all know this frustration, right? You get in there, you pull the bottom out, and you're like, I'm going to put my leftover chicken in there. And then you're like, that top doesn't work, that top doesn't work, that top. You're like, I don't have a top that works for this. So you flip the chicken out, you put it in another one, you try to find another top, and you're doing this over and over again. You're like, this is insanity, right? So every once in a while, you're like, I'm going to reorganize my Gladware, my Tupperware. You pull them all out, you measure, you know, you figure everything out, no tops and whatever, whatever. You throw everything away that doesn't fit, you start over, right? And everything works. You put it back in there real nice. And how long does that last? It depends on who you are. But sometimes it doesn't last super long. Uh, sometimes it does. And I thought about all the stuff we've been going through biblically, all the things we've been learning about ourselves, all the things that have gotten reorganized by God because of a pandemic, because of racial injustice, because of all the things going on around us in our personal lives. I really think through all of this, God's been reorganizing. God has been putting things back the way they should be so things work rightly. God has been taking out old priorities and ways of thinking and replacing them with things that make sense and things that help and things that work. And the idea for us, right, is to not let it get messy again, to not go back to not understanding how other people think, to not go back to not loving our neighbor in a certain way, to not go back to not having empathy for the way other people experience life around them, to not go back to not being ready to love our neighbor and sacrifice, to not go back. God has been doing some reorganizing, reorganizing how we prioritize certain people. And maybe with the pandemic, you've been home with your family more. And there's certain things that we've learned to say, I don't want to go back. The idea for us is not to go back to things as normal. It's to take what God has reorganized and move forward with that. And so whatever God's been doing in your life personally, which I would assume through a pandemic and everything that's been going on, is something, please, please listen to me. Let's continue to press into this together because the natural human way, right, what happens a month later with your Gladware is it's messy again, the tops don't fit, something doesn't work. And what I want for us is to think about being intentional to maintain that, to maintain how God has reorganized, created new ways of thinking. He has put the tops back with the bottoms. He's trying to make these things work for us to help us love our neighbor well. And so whatever God has done for you in your life that way and how he's doing that as a church, my plead with us is that we won't let it go back to the way it was, but that we would move forward with the way God has reorganized our cabinet, with the way God has reorganized your life, with the way God has reorganized the way you think, with the way God has reorganized your priorities, with the way God has reorganized how you spend your money, with the way God has reorganized your life and our church. And so let's move forward in that, with that in mind. So today, as our last Love Your Neighbor series is simply entitled, Take Action. Okay, turn to your neighbor, say, take action. Action, do this, you know what the thing. Action, you know how they do it. Action, do that. Action, take action. If we're going to truly love our neighbor, the simplest and most direct way for us to do that well is to be a people of action, to be a people of action. So in light of that, we're going to read from James 2, 14 through 26. It says this, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warm and filled, 
without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? Right? After that sentence, all of us should, like, it's like a knife in the heart. How many times do we do that to people around us that we see a need? We're like, hey, bless you. God bless you. We don't actually help them. I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe this and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That sentence makes some of y'all go crazy, and it might should in some way, but we're going to understand this biblically, okay? And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is a really great passage, not only to motivate us into action, but to help us think biblically about what does it mean to be a people of works. What does that mean biblically to be a people of works and a people of faith? How do those things go together? So the most important thing for us is to be a people of action. And when I was uh, listening to uh, the book of Galatians the other day, at the end of it in Galatians 6, 9, he says, don't grow weary in doing good. And I thought, you know what, I think that's what we really need. Because the thing isn't, this is God's blessing on our church, is that we are a people of action, you are a people of action. We act, this is what we do. And I'm so, like, proud to be a part of this church, to be a place of action where we get things done for Jesus, where we move the needle for Jesus, where we serve. These are things that we are doing. So this sermon is important not because I'm trying to get us to do something we are not, but I'm trying to help us continue to press in to things we are already doing, which is sometimes the more difficult work. And so this is an encouragement, and maybe for some of you, you didn't even start action. But I know for many of you, these are things that we are doing. And what I want to tell you is let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary in continuing to learn and continuing to empathize and continuing to listen to other people's experiences in life, continuing to educate ourselves to learn how to love our neighbor better. Let us not grow weary in fighting for justice for other people. Let us not grow weary in making deliveries or serving our community in a variety of ways. Let us not grow weary and serving the poor and the least of these. Let us not grow weary in giving our money, energy, and time. Let us not grow weary in sharing the gospel and being bold and making disciples. Let us not grow weary in teaching others the way of the Lord and mentoring and giving our time over to those younger than us. Let us not grow weary in the heat of the battle when it really gets difficult. Let us not grow weary when we face opposition and things just get harder. Let us not grow weary of doing these things, the same thing over and over and over again. Let us not grow weary of doing good because love is seen in action. We must be a people of action because that's how people will see the love 
And so since we are doing that well, my role, I feel like, as one of your pastors is to encourage us to not grow weary in continuing to do so. Right? Don't grow weary in some of those conversations you might be having with people that are getting more difficult by the day. Don't grow weary in the things you see happening around you and saying, what are we going to do about all of this? Let's continue in the fight. So for faith to be legit, we see in this passage, it must be realized in action. I think the same is with love. For love to be legit, it must be realized in action. I'm going to take that same phrasing he uses and, and replace the word love. Let me, let me um, show you this. Suppose it says this in James 2, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he loves his neighbor but has no works to show for it? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he loves his neighbor but, as we saw in week two, only when he gets to pick his neighbor? He loves only his favorite ones. What good is it, my brother, if someone says he loves his neighbor but does not take time to understand his neighbor and the plights and the struggles and the experiences of his neighbor. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he loves his neighbor but shows only judgment and no mercy to his neighbor? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he loves his neighbor with his mouth but does not love them from the heart? Remember, the sentiment is easy. Everyone agrees that you should love your neighbor. The substance, that's the hard stuff, to actually live this out. So what I want for us is to pursue a holistic love for our neighbor, one that is felt in the heart, spoken with the lips, thought in the mind, done with your hands and your feet, one that is lived out in every way around us. And by God's grace, let me encourage us, I think this is what marks our church. I think if someone would say, man, what is what marks City Light Church right now? I would think this would be one of the things. I hope several things, but I think this would be one of these things. A place of action, a place that truly does love its neighbor in word and in deed. And I am so thankful for that. So let us continue to press into that. So I'm going to give you a little sentence here. And I, I want us, before I encourage us all the more to be a people of action, I want to biblically build the argument, very simply though, shortly, that we're not saved by our action. So that when we press into living a life of works, we don't get confused about how that affects our relationship with God through faith. Okay, so we're going to start with building the understanding of faith, and then we're going to work our way into the necessity of works so that we can be a works-based people, but not misunderstand how someone comes to faith in Jesus. So here's a little sentence for you to write down. We want a faith that works but isn't based on works, okay? This is like James 2 the whole way. We want a faith that works, but is not based on works. A faith that works, but isn't based on works. This is a sentence that I think will help us understand these two things working together in scriptures, that faith is a gift, but that works are a necessity for faith to be realized as true. So. Number one, here's to help us understand this. Faith is a gift made available by the work of Jesus. So we're going to build the biblical understanding of faith, okay? Faith is a gift, is, all every word is important, made available by the work of Jesus. Not you, not me, not any religious leader, not your parents, 
Faith is a gift made available by works, but not your works and not my works, by the work of one person, Jesus Christ. So this is our basic understanding of faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved. You should write these, at least references down. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is not, say it with me, not a result of works. Not. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this sums it up really well, but I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures. The reason this is true, that we cannot be saved by our works, the reason this faith is a gift made available by the work of Jesus is, comes from many scriptures, but Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. Even the nicest person you've ever met. No one understands, no one, no one, out of billions and billions of people that ever lived on this earth, no one seeks after God. Nobody, not one person, can earn the work, the favor of God through works because not one person on the planet desires to be righteous. Apart from God working in you and through you, no one desires to do the work to actually be right with God. And we simply cannot. Not only are we unable, not only do we not desire it, we are unable. We're just not righteous enough to desire the good works. We're not righteous enough to do the good works. We simply do not have what it takes to work our way into favor with God. Therefore, salvation must be a gift because it won't be gotten any other way. So this is why Jesus, the good news of the gospel is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, it says, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Right? So faith, so you've been saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not of your own works. It is a gift from God. Why? Because no one is righteous. No one either has the desire or the ability to work their way into favor with God. So what does God do? He sends Jesus who takes our place and who takes the payment for sin that we deserve. He makes the payment and he lives a perfect life so that when God looks at us through our faith in Jesus, he now sees Jesus. God supplies the payment necessary for sin in Jesus' death, and then he supplies the necessary righteousness, the perfection in Jesus' life. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive both payment for sin in his death and a perfect righteousness from his life so that when we stand before God, we neither have sin to pay for, nor are we having any faults that would keep us from entering into his presence because our resume, because it's Jesus' resume, will be perfect. This is how it works. 
I want you to think about how you get access to places. I was actually just talking to somebody about this. You get access to places based off how the people you know, right? So there's somebody I know, right, that every hotel I ever go to, if I'm with them, they have like all the points, you know? So you get all special access. You get, you just treat it like royalty. You know, you get that special room with the unlimited bacon and the unlimited coffee and the unlimited egg. Everybody's like, you just walk into this space. You have this little badge, you know, and you're just like, ah. You know, and you walk in, and it's like, wow, you know, it's just a new world. And the only way I would ever get into that space is certainly not because I earned it. No chance, not a chance, but because of my connection to the person who earned it. So I get access to a place that I could not have access to because of my connection with someone who did the work to earn the favor to get access. It's exactly what it means to know Jesus, is that Jesus did the work, Jesus lived a perfect life, Jesus paid for sin on the cross, and now my connection to Jesus is what gets me access to God's presence, and particularly, most importantly, a place called heaven where I can dwell with God forever. It's my connection to him. And what does Jesus do? He gives it to me as a gift. So in the same way, when I'm with that person in the hotel, uh, he doesn't say, do 10 push-ups before you're able to get in here, you know. Uh, why don't you do this? Do me a favor. No, no, no. He just says, hey, come along with me. This is my gift to you. This is what Jesus says to you. And for many of you may be listening to this now, this is where everything stops and starts for you. The goal has never been for your life, for you to do your very best and live up to some sort of standard and then maybe one day die, or definitely die, but then maybe one day stand before God and be accepted because you did enough good things, they outweighed your bad things. That's never going to work for you. No one is righteous, no, not one. But Jesus did the work for you and he wants to save you as a special gift to you. And the action step for you is not, yet, not right now to go do something good for others. The action step for you is to receive the good work God has done for you through repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus. Because salvation is a gift made available as a work of Jesus. So that's number one. Okay, we're doing some theology today. This is fun. Hope you're having fun with me. Number two, works are evidence of true faith. So now I want to say, let's be a people of action. And I want you to hear that from the biblical foundation of a people who can't do enough good works to save ourselves and need the grace of Jesus. But what the Bible teaches us, number two, is that works are evidence of true faith. So true faith is a gift made available by the work of Jesus. And now works, our works, are evidence of the fact that we have true faith. James 2.17, so also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Dead is a pretty strong word. If you say you have faith and it's not accompanied by any works, any life change, any obedience, then your faith is dead, meaning it's not alive, meaning it doesn't exist. That's a pretty strong statement. John the Baptist warned the religious Pharisees in Matthew chapter 3 to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying literally the same thing. Your faith apart from works is dead. If you truly repented, you would bear fruit. And so he's calling them to do this. Jesus himself says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, he doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. Right? That's works-based. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Meaning that works and obedience and commandment-keeping 
is evidence of the fact that we truly are people of faith in Jesus and that he truly does reside in us. There is a direct connection between a faith that saves and a faith that works. We need a faith, as we said, that works, but that isn't based on work. So here's what I want to do. Uh, here he gives two examples. So in James 2, he gives two examples, Abraham and Rahab. So I'm going to use those two examples. Uh, so here in James 2, he says, uh, verse 20, Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So he's using Abraham to prove his point that works are evidence of faith, and that works in his language complete your faith. So let's go back to Abraham. So Genesis 15, 6 says this, he believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. So Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, is given the gift of faith. This is a gift, right? He believed God, and God counted it as righteous, meaning he saved, right? He believed God, and God saves him. He believed God, and God saves him. And this is the gift of faith. This is Genesis 15. This is what he's talking about here. And then in Genesis 22, it says that that's the point at which Abraham willingly offers his son Isaac as an act of obedience to God. Now obviously, or not obviously, some of you may not know, that the, uh, the Isaac didn't end up getting sacrificed. Praise God. He provided another way. God had a different plan. But the point is, here in James, that when Abraham acted obediently in Genesis 22, that was not the thing that saved him. Genesis 15, his belief is the thing that made him righteous. But in Genesis 22, later on in his life, his act of obedience completed his faith. His act of obedience made it clear. Genesis uh, 22.1 says that God sent Abraham a test. He wanted to test Abraham. So Abraham is the example. Let me, uh, Hebrews gives us more insight into this. This is so important for us to understand. Let's be accurate with the Bible so that we can move forward with vigor and zeal. Hebrews 11, 17, 19 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was an act offering up his only son, of whom it is said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, which, from figuratively speaking, he did receive him. So I just want you to notice here in verse 17. So we have James 2 saying this, so we go back to the story. Genesis 15, faith is given as a gift. Genesis 22, it's realized in action. James is using that example, and then Hebrews picks up on that in Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, and it teaches us that Abraham did all this, what's the word? By faith. This is important, not for faith. Abraham worked by faith, not for faith. He was motivated by faith, not for faith. It was the faith he already had received as a gift that motivated and led to the obedience in an act of faith and called obedience. So he receives faith as a gift. That very faith is realized in an act of faith, what we call obedience. This is what he says in Hebrews 11. So by faith he worked, not for faith. Faith was a gift. It produced an act of action, obedience. So, he uses Rahab. Uh, I have Joshua 2, 2 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole story here, but the, the general gist is in Joshua 2, uh, they're ready to go conquer the land of Canaan. He sends in spies. Rahab hides the spies from her own people. 
And the reason she did this is she reveals to them that everybody's afraid and that she believes that their God, this is verse 11, is the true God, the God of the heavens and the earth. And so now James is picking up the story of Rahab and he's giving the same idea. He's revealing to us, right, that Rahab already believed God. She believed that the God of Israel was the God of the world. And that is a gift of faith that God bestowed upon her, one that she didn't deserve or earn. But in the midst of a group of people who didn't believe that, she believed it based off the things that had happened in Egypt. And so now she believes, and because she believes, what does she do when the spies of Israel show up? She acts, and she risks her own life to protect people that were not her people. Why? Because she'd already believed God, and her belief led her into action to work in obedience. Hebrews 11 once again picks up on Rahab, just like it picks up on, on uh, Abraham. And it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. Let me say it again. By faith. Right? And so we're taking the time to go through this because, first of all, I want you to have a good understanding of this. I want you to, be able to explain this to someone else. I don't want anyone listening to think you can be saved based off your works. But I also want to give us a firm foundation from which we launch into a life of action. Just run, you know, we have a firm foundation and we're just jumping off that and we're doing all sorts of things for God's kingdom because we've settled what does it mean to have faith in Jesus and that faith is strong in us. We understand the salvation God has given to us as a gift and we're so amazed and filled with that, that from that faith we receive as a gift that creates a firm foundation, we launch from that into acts of faith that love our neighbor. Because without that type of faith, we will not love our neighbor. We need a faith that works, that isn't based off works. So as faith in us produces acts of faith, so it is with love, that love in us will produce acts of love. Romans 12, 9 says, let your love be genuine. Let it be the real deal. So we are and we continue to be a people of action because of our faith in God. We love our neighbor because of our faith, and we love our neighbor by the power of our faith. We love our neighbor because of the love that has been poured into us. We love him because he first loved us, and now that love transforms us, and we go and love our neighbor, and we take action to do so. So as we close, some of you might be saying, I don't know if I have the energy, the strength to keep doing this to keep up this fight, to keep up this way. I don't know if I have the strength or the energy to keep having these conversations. I don't know if I have the skills needed to be able to move forward and be a person of action. I don't know. I don't know if the action that I'm called to, that we are called to, is something I feel like I can sustain or even maybe even get involved in in the first place. I want to encourage you with a Bible verse and a story and we'll close. The Bible verse is this. One of the best Bible verses is really helpful for you. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Boom. Right? What we just do? What do we just do theology for? Because he gives you faith, a faith that he earned, and by that faith that he gave you as a gift, now we do acts of faith. So the power that has been given to us is the very power that lives through us, 
and you, hey, if you've been a Christian for one stinking day, if you just became a Christian 10 seconds ago, if you have no idea what you're doing, but you know you love and know Jesus, you have everything you need to love your neighbor and be a person of action. Now, of course, we'll continue to grow and we'll continue to mature and we'll learn and learn and learn. But what God is saying is as soon as you become a person of faith through trusting in Jesus, it's that very faith that you use to move you forward. So the other day, I had a friend um, sitting on the stage, but I won't say his name, you know. It's not a bad story, though. I had a friend, and he uh, lost his wallet, and uh, I asked him if he had a tile. He was like, yeah, man, I had a tile, but he didn't put the tile on the wallet. And so he lost his wallet. He had a tile, but the tile was useless because he didn't put the tile on the wallet. And so now his wallet is gone, and he has a tile sitting around, but it doesn't work. And it's not helping him. And I, I just thought about that. As soon as he said that, I like wrote that down. I was like, I think that's going to make sense spiritually. And it does. Because when we do it this way, right, we have the Spirit of God, faith given from God, the salvation of God, the work of God, the power of God, the energy of God, everything that we need. But sometimes the reason why we feel lost or we don't know where to go or what we're doing is simply because we haven't used the power we've been given. It hasn't been applied. We have been given this amazing thing of faith, and then we try to go do good works in our own strength. We have been given this amazing gift of love, and we try to go do good works in our own understanding of love. We've been given this, and we simply are not using it. And so an encouragement to you is that you have what you need. You've been given the tile. You don't have to lose your wallet. You don't have to grow weary in doing good. You don't have to give up. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel inadequate. We and you and me can all be a people of action because we already have what we need. Remember, Abraham, Rahab, and all of us work by faith. Faith is a gift given to us, and now that faith produces action. You have what you need. We at City Light have what we need. And we can be a people who love our neighbor well and a people who take action because we're a people of faith. We need a faith that works, that isn't based off works. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for everything that you have done for us, in us, through us. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're thankful that you've given us the gift of faith. I pray many people listening now would receive the gift of faith through repentance and belief in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who work by faith, that the faith we have been given, the love we have been given, the mercy and the grace and the power we have been given would be the very things that motivate and move us forward to make a difference in the world around us. Help us to love our neighbor, God, in substance, in action, in work, not just in sentiment. God, take this group of people that you have called to this place. And continue to help us to move forward. Let us not, God, grow weary in doing good. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you're always with us to help us along the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.